Thanks, guys. Good morning. A couple of weeks ago on a Thursday, I witnessed first love. It wasn't watching some mushy show on the television. That's on Wednesdays when I watch The Bachelor. Dreadful, dreadful show, but quite addictive, I found. (laughs) I was actually at Thursday at 8. I was here when I witnessed First Love. I was talking to Ramon and Marnie Van Pelen, who were away. Otherwise, I'd have got them up here. Here they are, just in case you can't remember who they are or don't know. I was talking, and Ramon was telling me about... um, the couple of weeks before this when he has encountered God in a fresh way. He is hungry to know God more. He is hungry to be changed by God. He is hungry to spend time with God. He is hungry to see the difference and he is seeing enormous difference in his family and his friends around him because he is different to them. It is so exciting witnessing this first love, this new love in him. But as I was standing there, because I won't tell you more of their story, because hopefully we'll get them up here to tell you their story soon. But as I was standing there listening, this thought came into my head, as thoughts do when you're listening, fully listening, but thinking at the same time, um, of, oh, I wonder whether I should warn him. He's so excited and high. I wonder whether I should warn him and say, you know, this won't last you know that actually you are going to come to probably some difficult times. You know there'll be plateaus ahead probably for you. And I thought, no, don't, don't do that, because I was loving what I was hearing. And I went away afterwards, and I thought about it, and I thought, I'm so glad I didn't do that. And I thought, you know what the warning that should have been heard in my head at that point was? The warning should have been for me. It should have been saying to me, do you still have your first love? If you don't, are you getting it back? That's what I should have been hearing. Because God speaks to us and he speaks um, to the church in Ephesians a long, long time, time ago. And he says these words. Thanks, Rick. Oh, sorry. That, um, I'll go to the next one. I'm going to come back to that. Sorry, my fault, Rick. But he says, but you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? Turn back. Recover your dear early love. Get back your first love. And by first love, I'm not talking about emotions and that euphoria and feelings. Because feelings and emotions do fluctuate and they come and go. But I'm talking about the hunger that I saw in him. That desire to connect with God. I saw him just the other day and he said, what I'm now doing, if if I'm busy with my work and I realize that a couple of hours have gone by and I haven't connected with God, I stop. And I connect with God again. I went, wow. It's that hunger to know him more. Hunger to love him more. To be loved by him more. A hunger in the belly of knowing that God is for real. That he is good. That he is true. That we want to be with him. And that verse that I put in the wrong order. Can we get up to the one before? Just Thank you. The verse of this month. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me that this verse will somehow ring true within us. There'll be truth in it for us. Thanks, Rick. I wonder whether you've ever written a personal or a family mission statement. Many of us haven't. Or whether though you've sat for a moment and you've reflected, what's my purpose here? 
What, what should I be doing with my days, with my time here on earth? I imagine if you have, there might have been a part of it that's about living as your authentic self, living as your true self. And there may also have been a part of it about wanting to bless others, to bring goodness to other people. I believe that if we're living in that place of first love for God, that we will be living much more as God intended us to live. And we'll be living much more as we ourselves intend and hope to live. Maybe you're here this morning and you're living with first love, alive and true and simmering. You're not constantly aware of it in your head, but you know it is simmering away in your gut. You can look back to recent times like Jonah kindly shared with us before. Maybe you're here and you know that somehow it's got lost along the way. You might be still doing the right things, but somehow that first love has got lost along the way. But you think, actually, I do want to reignite that. Maybe you're going, well, I don't know that I've actually experienced that first love. We might have been following Jesus for a while or maybe have never chosen to follow Jesus. But but we like the sound of that first love. Well, I hope that during this time this morning, we will learn a little bit more about how we can connect, how we can meet with God. If you're here this morning and you're just checking us out and you're just checking God out, then it's great to have you with us. And I hope for you, it will just be that you get to understand and see a little bit more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. We've got this diagram that Troy um, has been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Um, And we're going to spend some time looking at this again. I think it's really helpful. Um, Following Jesus is about relationship. And so as we go through this morning, I'm not going to be talking about our relationships um, with people close to us. But I think you'll see parallels in it because it's about how to deepen a relationship. How do I follow God? How do I get that first love back? How do I keep love going and we'll, uh, we'll explore that as we go through. But um, as with any formulas and diagrams and things, I always say God is not a God of formula. God breaks rules. Well, their rules aren't there. God breaks what we expect of him so often and in different ways. So although this is sort of like a formula, God doesn't always work like this. It's exciting and slightly frustrating when he doesn't. But he doesn't always. But we're going to look at this because often he does. Often this is the way, um, and and I think this will be helpful for us. So how can we grow in our faith? How can we get the first love back and keep it alive within us? And I think that that leads to being fruitful. If we strive to do those other things, I think naturally that leads to us being fruitful. Well, it starts at the top. It starts with the invitation that we've explored already, because Jesus, as Troy says, says, come follow me. I was thinking about the disciples that followed Jesus on the earth, the 12 disciples. I don't imagine after breakfast that Jesus stood up and went, right, who's on for it today, lads? Which of you are following me today? I think it was just this given. They said they'll follow. So every morning after breakfast or whenever it was, maybe before, um, they'll get up and they'll go off and they'll follow Jesus. I think it's the same for us. It's a given. If at one stage we said, I will follow Jesus, that's my choice, then it's a given every day that we will be saying, just subconsciously, yes, I will get up, I will follow Jesus. And the next um, is is our response, and we've called it position ourselves, um, which I'll explain a bit more in a minute, but um, 
That's our response to God's invitation. The disciples chose to put their feet after Jesus. They walked after him, with him, so that they could discuss things amongst themselves and with him, so that they could listen to his teaching along the way. When Jesus stopped and encountered people, healed them, spoke to them, taught them, they were there. They were there so they could see and hear and learn from him and learn to be like him. I think it's the same for us. We need to choose to put our feet after Jesus. We need to position ourselves, put ourselves in places where we can see and hear and learn from him and learn to be like him. We need to position ourselves in places of reflection, in places of worship, in places of learning, in places of discussion, in places of listening. We need to be doing this. It will look completely different for each of us. Jonah's encounter with God will look completely different to other encounters. How he then brings God back into his day as he's studying will look different from how the rest of us do this. But I believe that as we get into this life routine of knowing we're invited and positioning ourselves before Jesus, that God then reveals himself to us. It says reveals at the bottom if you can't see past me. God then reveals himself to us. Not necessarily every day, sometimes with big gaps in between. He might reveal to us something about himself. He might reveal to us something about ourselves. He might ask us to do something for him. He might just remind us how much he loves us. He might show us something that he wants us to pass on to somebody else. Sometimes when he reveals things, they're just little things. And sometimes they're profound, life-changing things that he reveals to us. But following on from this, as we go about our days, positioning ourselves before Jesus, positioning ourselves before Jesus, he reveals himself to us. And then the next thing that follows on, again, is our response. Our response to him and the truth that he reveals. Last week, Troy spoke about Peter. And that Peter's response was to get out of the boat. And sometimes that is the response that we need to make. But as we position ourselves and God reveals himself and as we respond, we come to understand and experience God more. We see the ways that he works in the world. And so our understanding of ourself increases and we can join him in his working in the world. We can join him in his ways. But I think too, like for Jonah, that when God reveals himself to us and that we respond to him, even if it's just like Jonah going, wow, that actually that really impacts this next bit. It impacts how we then position ourselves. It makes us want to position ourselves in that place again so that God can reveal himself. I believe this is how we follow Jesus. This is how we find our first love again and we keep that first love alive within us. I believe this is how we follow. I've asked Wendy, come on Wendy, grab a mic and come and join me, to come up here this morning. I know she really wants to. (laughs) I've asked her to come up because she illustrates this so well. When I think of Wendy, I didn't tell her I was going to say this, but I practice everything else. But (laughs) When I think of Wendy, the word that springs to my mind is faithful. Pretty much every time I think of her, it's like she has it tattooed on her head, which you don't know. So Wendy, I think of as somebody who is is very faithful. And I know, Wendy, that you know that God invites you to join 
him every day and I know that you position yourself in a place before him so that you can follow him. So can you just give us um, a quick overview, a quick list of what are some of the things that you do to position yourself before Jesus? Um, Nearly every morning I go for a bike ride or a jog or a walk and I go through the Lord's Prayer. So that's my prayer time every morning for about half an hour. And then over my breakfast I read the Bible, so that takes another 20 minutes. So that's just a couple of personal things I do. And then I also come to Real Women that's on here every second week. And um, I usually go to Soak, which is once every two months. Um, I'm in a prayer group as well that meets fortnightly and that's a, a group where we just listen to God on behalf of other people. Thank you. Wendy, um, being older in years like me, has lived life long enough to know what, what fits for her. I think sometimes it takes some years to do that, but she knows ways that she can position herself before God that work for how God has made her to be. Because we're all different, so it will look different um, for each of us. Like last week, um, we interviewed Kieran, and he talks about how he loves to um, worship God, but he also loves to really study the Bible. We also had Kylie Mitten up here, and she was talking again about worshipping God, how she loved to do that. But she talked too about how she loves, um, while she's feeding her baby, to sit and to pray to God, and at the same time to be listening to God for those people. So that, for them, is how they position themselves, and Wendy positions herself in these other ways that she explained. So Wendy, can you unpack for us a little bit um, the, the being out exercising and the Lord's Prayer, can you just unpack that? What does that actually look like a little bit? Well, I start with our Father, of course, and um, I don't get much farther from that because that's such a a big thing. And over the months and years, that sort of expanded. So when I think of our Father, I think of him as being good and often I'll think about the previous day and what good things have happened and thank God for those things. And... um, I'll think of his power and I'll ask God, is there someone that needs his power that day and I'll pray for them or it might be for myself. So that's just our father bit and as it goes on it gets to, um, I often don't get past um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And with that part, I again I um, ask for him to show me what he wants to do in my life or who I'm going to be seeing that day. So... Yeah, it's just to reach each part of the Lord's Prayer, there's different things I think about and talk to God about. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Um, and so Wendy does this as a life routine. She does this positioning herself in a way that suits her, that suits her, that suits who she is, um, before God. And I know that God does reveal himself to you. Um, often in small ways, fairly regularly. But I know that as you look back in your life, you've had fairly momentous times when God has revealed himself to you, life-changing ways. Um, And so I wonder whether you can just tell us a little bit about the very first time you encountered God revealing um, something more to you. This is a number of years ago, and um, back then I was aware that we were meant to spend time with God every day, and that was a really difficult thing to do, and it involved a lot of work, so it involved thinking of different people that I should be praying for. So it was a list of shoulds and it was hard work. But this particular day, my husband and I went out for a motorbike ride. We went out to Noogee near past Warburton and the countryside out there is absolutely beautiful. And of course, you've got nothing to do when you're on the back of the motorbike. So I thought, well, I guess I should pray and I should pray through this big list of things that I'm meant to pray for. And I felt God say to me, 
don't pray, just, just enjoy yourself. Just look around at this beautiful, beautiful scenery and enjoy my presence and what I've created. And so I did and that was probably the beginning of a, a long journey of doing that more and more and now I know that's meant to be part of my life and part of my regular daily walk with him, just enjoying his creation, enjoying him, enjoying being with him. Fantastic. So he revealed to you the truth of needing to not just do but sometimes to be and sometimes to um, just sit and enjoy him. Sometimes it is to do. And so your response, just nut out your response to us. I know you have already. but I guess that's just something I want to do every day. I want to spend time with God. I want to enjoy his presence. I want to serve him as well. But it, um, my response is to keep doing it, I suppose. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's thank Wendy. Thank you very much. I hope that helps us to see a little bit about how that works, to see that. Thank you, Wendy. I think Wendy is great. And there is another woman, there are many actually, but there's another woman I want to talk about this morning who I think is great too. And her name is Mary. And she had a sister called Martha and a brother named Lazarus. And she lived in Jesus' days. We read about her in the Bible. She lived in Bethany. And one of the things that I love about Mary is that the way that she loved Jesus was scandalous. She was criticized for it. She was over the top in the way that she loved Jesus. I also love the slightly quirky thing about Mary, that she has more encounters with Jesus' feet than anybody else that we read about in the Bible. For some reason I like that, but I don't know why. But <laughs> anyway, one of the, one of the encounters is, is tragic and not particularly rule-breaking. Um, her brother has died and Jesus arrives. They called for him when the brother was sick and he didn't come. And the brother, um, the brother has died and Jesus arrives and she falls in grief at Jesus' feet. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would be okay. Little did she know what Jesus intended to do in raising him from the dead. But the other two occasions actually take place in her family home and there seem to be quite scandalous things that happened. Because in those days, culture was different. It was different. You would not be sitting here this morning at NCR like this. The men would be in one part and the women, I don't know, they might be outside peering in with the windows open or something. I don't know. We'd have a balcony, no doubt. Um, but men and women really didn't mix very much at all. So in places of worship, even in homes, there were parts of the home that were mainly for the men and there were parts of home that were mainly for the women. There were outside, it was okay. You were allowed to mix with people from the opposite sex obeying the rules outside and in the marital bedroom as well, but if you were married. You were allowed um, to meet there too. So it was really different. But if, you, if a man had guests in his home, it would be the men that would be gathered in that room. The women might go in to serve them if they were eating, but it would be the men gathered there. And so we have two occasions where men are gathered at Mary's house. And um, she goes in there and she doesn't just serve and leave, but she goes in there and she sits herself at the feet of Jesus and on the first occasion, this is what we read, thanks Rick, that she does. It says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. This isn't just because she liked his accent or she liked hanging out with him. It made her feel rather special. But when we read about people sitting at somebody's feet, it's that they're sitting there like a learner. 
Troy mentioned that last time, that we're all learners. We're sitting there as learners that are wanting to listen to our teacher, to understand the truths that they're speaking about, to become just like that teacher so that we can then go out and tell other people about them. There's an old Jewish saying, thanks Rick, that says, Let your house be a meeting house for the sages and sit amidst the dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. But for a woman, this is scandalous. Women were not trying to become like their male teacher in that setting. To be going in and sitting at the feet and assuming that she could learn from Jesus, that she could become like Jesus and then go out and teach Jesus' truths were scandalous in those days. She's criticised by her sister. She's criticised by the men in there. Tom Wright is um, a historian, so he has studied that period of history and the culture, but he's also a theologian, so he studied God in that time period and Jesus in that time period too. And he says this, which is very helpful. It's there already. Brilliant. He says, There is no thought here of learning for learning's sake. Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God. Jesus affirms her right to do so. So Mary has heard the invitation to follow him. She has responded by going in and positioning herself at Jesus' feet so that Jesus reveals himself and truth to her. And she does this because she wants to learn from him. And her response will be to go and tell others about Jesus. The second time is completely different. And we read this, but again in front of guests. Thanks. Mary, this time, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Now, when we think of perfumes expensive, it's, I don't know, I don't buy perfume. What is it, a couple of hundred dollars or something? I don't know, I <laughs> wouldn't have a clue. But this expensive perfume was probably worth a year's wages. It's hugely expensive perfume. So she took this expensive jar of perfume and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. Now we read that and just go, oh, that's nice, whatever. But for the men sitting there, that's three scandalous things that took place there. One of them was that she actually was there in the first place at Jesus' feet, like we said before. The second one is that she wasted this expensive um, perfume which she could have spent you know sold money for the poor makes much more sense surely they're all thinking but the third one is that she took down her hair now I was reading that this is like going in nowadays to a men a group of men with a long skirt on and hitching it up into your knickers and having it nice and short it would have been as scandalous as that to the men that this woman was letting down her hair and then wiping Jesus's feet with it she was criticised heavily again for doing that. But she, has, she knows the invitation. She is putting herself in a place of worship and love and adoration of Jesus. She has no idea, I don't think, of the significance that Jesus is going to bring from that. That this is actually anointing ahead of his death and burial. It's just around the corner. But I don't think she knew that at the time. But Jesus affirms her again. Mary's response to the invitation to follow Jesus is to position herself, whether it's to learn, whether it's to worship and adore Jesus. 
And Jesus reveals himself to her, his truths of who he is, his great love for her. And we know that she responds. She responds to him. And Jesus affirms and loves her. It's so simple. Putting ourselves in places of reflection and worship and listening and learning and discussion. So simple. And yet so hard because the world entices us away. It wants our attention. It sucks our time away from us. How far are we prepared to go? Are we prepared to be scandalous if need be? How far are we prepared to go to position ourselves at the feet of Jesus? Are we prepared to give up a TV show that is socially so popular with our group so that we can have time to sit with Jesus? Are we prepared to give up an evening of social media so that we have time to sit with Jesus? Are we prepared to not answer the message that's coming in and might be urgent so that we can sit with Jesus and maybe he reveals himself to us? Are we prepared to take our Bibles on the train with us into waiting rooms and read it if that's the time that we've got? And we might get odd looks for doing that. Are we prepared to speak to others about Jesus even though it might not be the done thing in that group? Are we prepared to bring up our children so that they see that God comes first and not all the other activities in life so that they too learn to position themselves before Jesus so that Jesus can reveal himself to them? Thanks, I'll have the next slide. So what is our response? You can't really see the words here. What is our response to that? This one up here says prayer. Maybe your response this morning is to pray. Maybe to come up and join the people that will be sitting here at the end or asking other people to pray for you and say, actually, I want that desire to have that first love, but it's a tiny desire in me at the moment. But I think I'd like that desire to follow Jesus more. Will you pray for me? We're told to pray, God, please increase my faith. And that increases our hunger. So maybe it's prayer, the response. Maybe it's prayer for strength to do it, determination to do it. Prayer for something else. We love praying for you. So maybe the response, oh, there's the words. Maybe the response is prayer, thanks. Maybe the response is to talk to people that you know, or maybe to Troy or Lucy or myself or Stu or Steve or somebody If you're thinking, actually, I want to learn to position myself, but I'm not quite sure how to do that. I don't know the way that that fits me. There is a way for all of us. God wants us to connect with him. There are ways for all of us. Then come and talk to one of us or somebody that you know and say, how can I actually do that? How can I position myself in places so that that first love stays within my heart and my gut? Maybe you know what to do. Maybe you have the hunger to do it and you just need to take the plunge and do it. Maybe that's your response. I'm going to put aside time so that I can actually sit at the feet of Jesus and so he can reveal himself to me. Maybe that's the thing you need to do. The very next thing that we're going to do right now, though, is to spend some time at the feet of Jesus. We're going to have communion together. And there are four tables in this room for communion. On the night, very soon after meeting with with Mary in his family, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
just before his trial and then his death, Jesus was eating with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. He then took a cup of wine. This is juice, but it's fine. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you, that is poured out for you. And he told his followers, he said to those who follow him, do this again and again and remind yourself. So since those last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been taking bread and taking wine and have been breaking it and remembering all that Jesus has done in his death for them. All that he's done in taking the punishment of the world upon himself for the wrong in the world. Taking the punishment for the wrong within us upon himself so that we can position ourselves before Jesus so that God can reveal himself to us because of the death of Jesus. So we're going to take communion. Now, if this is something new for you or you're saying, well, I'm just here checking it out, I wouldn't know what to do, then that's fine to just sit here. The musicians will play as we do it. You can just sit and reflect on what you've heard this morning or just sit and think. You might even take the bold, scandalous maybe step of going, all right, God, if you're there, maybe show yourself to me somehow. If you would like to, though, if you choose to follow Jesus and you would like to do that, then come up to the tables. But if you're a bit unsure about what it looks like to do this, there are these lovely, the fabulous silver cards on each table. So when you come and take the bread and the juice, take this. And it explains a bit about what communion is and it explains a bit about what you can do so that when you're sitting with the bread and the wine, but before you take it, it just helps you with some helpful steps of what to do. So do take one of those or just take that moment to sit at the feet of Jesus once you've got the bread and the juice and just sit there maybe it's worship that you need to do maybe it's saying God increase my faith maybe it's saying please reveal yourself to me at some point Jesus maybe it's saying God I'm sorry that I haven't been putting myself in that position you do what you need to do at that moment so We're going to have a time of quiet now. When you're ready, go up to one of the four tables and take some bread and take a cup of juice and go back to your seat. And when you're ready in your own time, then eat the bread and drink that juice. And then Troy will get up at the end of that and he'll close our time together. Thanks, Luke.